Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello. Hey. It's Jim here. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for the uh, friend request. It's, um, it's always nice to get to know people digitally. <laughs> it's Thanks. better to get to know them in <laughs> Thank person, you. But, but that's the way it's got to be for the next little while. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, so Jim, let me go through my little spiel here, and then we'll get right into the show. <clears throat> sure. All right. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Our Turn Social Media Network Radio. I am your host, James Whitfield, and I am joined today with co-host, Ms. Simone Higginbottom from Rebirth Radio, Incorporated, out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And we have a special guest online today, Mr. Jim Cressman, the president and founder of Invictus Entertainment Group and also the president of Big Star Recordings from how do I say the, the name of the city in Canada, Jim? Uh, it's it's Penticton. Penticton, Canada. Penticton, British Columbia, Canada. Yeah. Good oh, job. Nice. Hey, that's right. You know, but okay. So one second here, and let me just do a split screen here because I got to pull up my questions. But Simone, you have the questions there too. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely great to be on today. I'm so excited about uh, having this opportunity to uh, kind of guest co-host here today. Uh, I'm I'm excited because uh, after I was asked to you know to do this today, I kind of took a look at uh, what Mr. Uh, Cressman has going on. He's very he's been very very busy. So my uh, uh, first question I would like to ask you uh, this evening is: uh, Can you tell us? Why uh, you chose the name uh, Invictus for your company? Uh, is it a reflection sure. of you as a person? Uh, you know, what's what's the story behind that name? Sure, that's a, that's a great question. Thank you, Simone. Um, well, Invictus is uh, is uh, the Latin word for unconquerable and in, invincible. And um, as much as I'd love to say I fall under that. Uh, uh, category uh, categorization as a human being. I'm like every other human being, which means I'm fallible. I've got my own issues. I've definitely got my weaknesses. But what I believe 
uh, is absolutely unconquerable is the artistic spirit, the desire to create, the desire to, to take music and, and create and, and, and take the chaos of emotion and package it and, and put it in terms that we can all feel and understand. So uh, Invictus is, is a, an homage, if you will, to the unconquerable artistic spirit that lives in all of us to a degree. It's why we can feel great music when it speaks to us or great art as we interpret it. Um, but the reality is not all of us have the capability to, uh, to transform how we feel into something else that, you know, into, into something that is easily mentally and emotionally digestible for people. And that's one of the reasons why artists are so special. And it's, it's one of the reasons why, I'm so thrilled to work with artists because to me, it's my calling. I don't have that creative ability, but I have the ability to help artists take their message and their music to the marketplace and influence people by the thousands and even the millions at times. And that just feels really good. So that's where it came from. And that's what I keep in the back of my mind every day, especially during these crazy COVID times as we try to navigate a new landscape. Exactly, okay. I agree uh, with that. Yeah, uh, music has definitely been uh, something that has kept me going throughout this, and I'm quite sure I'm not alone in that. Uh, and we're thankful for artists of being, you know, able to share their gifts with uh, with us at large. Um, you know, in thinking about uh, that name, you know, it pretty much kind of answers my next question, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. Uh, what yeah. drives you the most? You know, what drives you the most in this industry? Um, well, you know, I, I've got a family, so obviously I want to make a living for them. That's, that's really important, but I really, if you take, if you take commerce out of the mix, um, but I do think that's important because if you want creators to create, they've got to be able to finance that process. Right. Um, so I think that that's important leveraging uh, brand value and equity in order for artists to make money, which is really what my job is. But outside of that, you know, those moments when you're standing in a, in a concert hall and you look around the room and everybody has forgotten about their problems or whatever, whatever issue they might have. And everyone's united around a great melody and a great beat and a great artist and great music and, and a powerful message. And nobody cares who's Republican, who's Democrat, who's left, who's right, you know, who's white, who's black, who's brown. No one cares. They're just all lost in this moment of unity. And I, I believe the thing that's going to bring the world together as we continue to evolve as human beings is art because politicians often sell us on the vision of, of unity, but things aren't looking so good for for their results in that field, you know, objectively speaking, but artists, they will bring people together. And when I, when I experience that, and I know that I'm part of bringing people together in that capacity and I see them filled with, with um, love and excitement and, and I see them lost in the lyrics of their favorite song. There's something that just touches me in my soul and reminds me that I'm doing the right thing for a living for me, for my skill set, right? Like, I think that everybody's wired differently. Everybody has different potentialities, but this is my gift to be able to be the catalyst between the artist and the audience. 
Uh, yes, Jim, before we go any further, we would like to say congratulations to you, your team at Invictus, and to your artists for their phenomenal successes, you know? Thank you so much, James. I, uh, I'm i a big fan of what you do. I Obviously, I've never met you yet, but... What? For real? Um, <laughs> yeah, I am. I, I, I am a fan of yours. I, I think I think what you're doing is just such a noble pursuit in helping people who, who may have made some mistakes in life get back on track and figure things out and become strong, contributing members of their own community and society as a whole. I just think the way I am grounded powerfully by the, the notion that I'm doing the right thing, I'll bet that also resonates with you because you probably have the same feeling in your heart when you get up and go at it every day. Yes, I do. Well, thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. Exactly. Yeah, for yeah, sure. I agree with that too. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, for our listeners, and, you know, I'm curious about this myself because when I think about Canada, I, I, I really don't think about country music. So can you explain to our listeners that are listening in uh, if there's a difference in how country music is received oh. in and throughout Canada? Oh, Simone, uh, Jim, Jim, before you answer that question, can I do yeah. one little thing that I forgot to do earlier? To our listeners tuned in, we can take limited calls at our call-in number, area code 845-277-9182. Also, we are streamed live from Spreaker.com, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Distributed Worldwide. Okay. So the number, once again, area code 845-277-9182. 9182 if you want to call in and we'll try to get your call and maybe if you have a question for Mr. Cressman, maybe he'll answer it. I'll do my okay. best. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, I, you know, back to that question um, with our listeners that are listening in, is there a difference, of, a difference in how country music is received in Canada? Is there a difference in, you know, in what is received here in the States? You know, that's that's probably almost a better question for the artist because I think they could gauge that better than me. But one thing I've observed in Canada that that seems to be a bit of a differential from the U.S. is, um, and this isn't isn't a judgment, this is just an observation, uh, is that in Canada we love our are beer drinking, tailgating, party and country, but there's also a real desire to connect with the depth that, you know, some of the most powerful country songs, and, and I don't know if you've ever, you know, whether it's Leanne Womack, I Hope You Dance, or Garth Brooks, The Dance, yep. or, you know, songs songs that are just, just incredibly lyrically powerful. In Canada, we really seem to have a hunger for that, and it's why artists, uh, who, you know, like, like Kip Moore, for example, who's also very popular in the United States, but probably sells more tickets on his shows in Canada because his music is, is so lyrically deep, so powerful. You know, a lot of people know him for some of his big radio hits, but if you listen to the albums, there's a lot of depth there, a lot of emotion, and, and a lot of great interpretation of some very... Uh, difficult subjects to um, 
to understand. So I think in Canada, there's a real desire to connect through the lyrics um, and not, not just the beat, even though there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I think that's really, listen, music sometimes is just an escape and sometimes it's just recreational. But every once in a while, you've got music with a, with a powerful message that people need to hear and they need to feel. And, and I feel like Canadians are very much open to that. And, and I've heard other artists say that over the years too, which is probably where this message came from is they go, you know, when I play some of my deeper album cuts in the U S people are kind of like bored, but if I play them in Canada, it feels like people are actually listening and paying attention. So I think that's a real compliment to the fan base up here. Yes, it is. Yes. It is. It is. It's the first thing you hear, you know? Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Now, Jim. Okay, so. Uh, the next question. Go ahead. Go ahead, Simone. Oh, no. You go ahead. I'm fine. I, I can, I can wait. Oh, yeah. let you. Let you. Uh, I'm not going to be greedy. <laughs> I'm not going to take over all the questions. I'm going to give you the opportunity. <laughs> all right. Uh, Jim, I watched the short video with you and Aaron Pritchett debunking the overnight yeah. success. And it was very insightful. What prompted you and Aaron to do this video? So a few years ago, I launched a, a video series. And um, basically what I was doing is, is either positioning myself or interviewing other industry experts just to do my best to feed the emerging artist community with some no-nonsense tips and ideas and suggestions on how to get their art moving forward. And, um, and I really enjoyed the series and it actually was very well received, including that episode with Aaron. Um, but I, I want to take it a step further. So I'll let you guys know, cause I'm about to make it public. I'm going to be launching a podcast series where I go really in depth on these subjects, you know, an hour, an hour and a half, because um, I love the video series, but one, one thing, James, is, is it, I felt like it just sort of scrapped the surface. It was like by the time you, you get to where you're losing people's attention, <laughs> you're done. You know, like the videos have to be pretty short, right? But the podcast is going to be more long form, and we're going to be able to have some really interesting, compelling conversations that go in depth. And so I'm really excited about that. Okay. Well, we're looking forward yeah. to hearing it. I know I had read that you were planning to launch. Most definitely, most definitely. So, and, uh, you know, what, so my question to you, Jim, next is uh, I know that you attend the CMAs uh, in Nashville every year. So how are you received by uh, the American Country Music Association and uh, by the stars and management in Nashville? Um. I've got a great relationship because Canada is the second largest um, country music market in the world. That's the United States. And our company is, um, which my wife and I own and operate is the second largest independent promoter in Canada. Um, and so we, we do a lot of business with the Nashville agencies, the Nashville management companies, um, they often want to send their artists up here to do some touring and we help provide the mechanism for that to happen. And, um, and so we've had some great success stories on nurturing artists, whether it was John Party or Kip Moore or Chris Lane, from the very beginnings of their career, 
Uh, and then working with icons like Dolly Parton. I did the last Dolly Parton tour in Canada. And you want to talk about an individual who's about as real as they can get, about as authenticated and sweet and kind and thoughtful as anybody could be, Dolly Parton is that person. And I haven't started the hashtag yet, but I think we should start Dolly Parton for president because she's got my vote, even though I'm a Canadian. Um, no. I love that woman. She's just great. <laughs> Yeah, and I you know what? I, I believe that it that comes across in her music, and it comes across in the interviews that I've saw of Dolly Parton in the past. And I can I can wholeheartedly believe that in what you're saying. Yeah, she's just she's just a no you know no BS uh, individual. She has very high standards for what she wants because she wants to put on the best show for her fans, and. Um, it's a real honor working with her, and, and we've worked a lot with Carrie Underwood as well up here. You know, just another incredible quality human being. Um, I did uh, two sold-out shows in Alaska with Carrie. Um, last summer we had her up here in a, in a little town named Fort McMurray, which was famous a few years ago because it almost burnt to the ground with forest fires. And uh, Carrie came into their, their little football stadium, Hold 7,000 people. She sold it out, and she put on a show that was just so epic and so moving. And um, and, the, and the thing I love about Carrie Underwood as well is, uh, and Dolly's like this as well, but she'll, she'll play in these small towns in these areas that generally don't get artists of that caliber. And she really prioritizes it, especially in Canada, because – you know, in her perspective, she's like, listen, I don't mind coming to the fans because I understand that Canada is a vast country. It's a long way for them to travel to Calgary or Edmonton or Vancouver. So if we have a few days off in between those big cities, let's go play these small towns. Let's give these people an opportunity to enjoy the show. And um, it's just been a, a really great partnership working with her and, and all the rest of the artists we've worked with, but she was one of the first major A-level artists that we were able to take to places like Penticton, British Columbia, and, and Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. You know, you put Carrie Underwood in Moose Jaw, and everybody thinks it's a joke. They're like, she's not coming to Moose Jaw. It's like, no, we've got her. She's coming. So it's uh, it's pretty cool. Right. Now, now, you book over how many shows a year, Jim? Well, this year, James, uh, <laughs> not such a good year to, to tally them up, um, but most years we're anywhere between 700 and 1,000 shows a year. So um, wow. on any given, yeah, on any given weekend, we might have 12 or 15 or 16 shows happening. So um, I obviously attend the ones I can, but, you know, you just physically can't be at all of them, obviously. So... Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, now, I gotta clone myself. Now, now, briefly, now, briefly, can you can you tell us just uh, do you have any of the of your the stars on your label, Big Star Recording, that will be doing concerts, or any of your artists that you manage doing concerts in the United States? Um, I. I do have an artist, uh, this isn't an artist that signed a big star, my, my record label, but they are signed to my uh, agency and management company, Invictus. Uh, Brett Kissel, who's one of them, who will be performing next year in the United States. He actually had a very full summer this year in the U.S. 
um, opening for Eric Church, Garth Brooks, and many others, but unfortunately that all got canceled. Um, and then I've got another gentleman by the name of Corey Marks who I manage and book as well, and Corey was supposed to go out on tour with Breaking Benjamin on a big U.S. amphitheater tour, and he was also going to go out with Alice Cooper. Um, but that all got canceled. So we're just starting to plan yeah. out next summer now. And um, and I just want to say on the live entertainment front that we're well aware of the risks around COVID. So obviously we want to make sure that we prioritize the health of all the fans. That comes first. That's, that's paramount. Um, but we also want to get back out there and play because we really understand that, that, that live music is a, a mental health, supplement if you will right like it's really important that people get that opportunity to get out and connect in a community um almost in a church-like atmosphere if you've ever been to a a concert where you can just feel the vibe and everybody's happy and thrilled and feeling good about life and that's really important too so we don't want to discount the fact that live music is really important but obviously we want to get people together in a in a in a setting which is safe and in Canada, we've been doing some of these drive-in concerts. Uh, I've been sharing some of it on my Facebook, James, so you might have, have seen some of it yeah. there or Simone. Um, but uh, the drive-in concerts have been working pretty well, so we set up a big, giant iMig screen. We set up a stage, and then we broadcast uh, the board feed of the music into a, a low-powered FM frequency so people can literally pull their car up, tune in, listen to it through their car speaker and uh, as long as they stay, you know, within a meter or two of their car, a few feet from their car, it's safe and sound. And, um, and then, you know, and then there's no parking, right? Like you just park, you watch the show and when the show ends, you just drive out. So um, from a convenience perspective, it's quite an advantage for the consumer, which is really nice to see. And I feel like it's about the safest experience we can have right now as we continue to navigate the, the rough waters of um, the coronavirus and what it sort of put the uh, the music industry into. Right, it does. You know what? I did uh, see uh, see the show, uh, Brett Kissel, you know, on Saturday. Yeah. You know, and I was like, oh, that's one hell of a production they put on there. <laughs> you know? Well, thank you, man. I appreciate you saying that. It It, it was a really great event. We were in Saskatoon. We had three sold out shows in the day. Uh, Brett is just a workhorse, man. Like he, he will go up and give his all and pull off three shows, three 60 minute shows in one day. And that's a lot of energy expenditure. That's a lot of work. Um, but that man is equal to the task. And I felt so good, you know, like that. It sounds cheesy, but when you look out and you see people literally crying because they're so happy to be out of the house and just doing music again, it moves your soul. It makes you feel like you're really connected to something that matters. And, uh, and I got to experience that again on Saturday, and that was pretty powerful. Yeah, and you know, uh, Jim, when I had originally posted the, the, the picture frame with you with Invictus in the middle and all your stars around the picture frame, yeah, I mislabeled. I mislabeled Jordan uh, Jordan McIntosh's name as Josh. I believe the gentleman that corrected me was Greg McIntosh, and he may have been a relative. He may have even been his father. 
so I yes. that. Yes, thank you for correcting that. I, I miss it somehow, so thanks for taking care of that right away. And, yes, uh, Jordan McIntosh is an uh, incredible human being, great artist, one of the best vocalists you'll ever hear, and his dad uh, owns a, um, an auto repair shop uh, just outside of Ottawa, Canada, and he's a, a hard-working, blue-collar, humble uh, great human being, and, and he's raised an incredibly talented son. So, yeah, they're they're a great bunch of people to work with for sure. And uh, yeah, thanks for correcting that. It's uh it's all good. These things happen. You know, and uh, I was talking with some of my neighbors out here, and they were like, uh, I told them, I said, well, I'm hosting a radio show and uh, a podcast, and I have a gentleman from uh, Canada who has one of the largest booking agencies in Canada for country music artists. And he says, man, I'm a country fan. <laughs> you know, he says, when? And, you know, he's an older gentleman. Huh? And so I told him, I said, well, Ted, it's going to be on, on Tuesday, the 30th. He says, James, I'm going to be right there. You just have to come down I and tell me how to get on this computer. That's awesome. Well, yeah. that's good to hear. Yeah, so how things you know. are you going, Simone? Simone, are you enjoying the dynamic of co-hosting with James? You guys having a good time with this? I am. Yes. I actually am. I'm, I'm learning a lot. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm more in, I guess, growing up. I listen to uh, some of the artists that you're mentioning. Are, the names are familiar to me, but I'm more from old school country. My, my grandfather and, and his brothers, you know, like uh, Johnny Cash and um, Waylon Jennings and people like that. That's who I'm used to hearing. Um, but, you know, and of course, Dolly Parton and uh, Tammy Wynette and, uh, you know, just people of, of from, I say, way back in the day because I, in eight months I'll be 50 years old. So um, some of these new names are new to me, but I've taken the time to, you know, to go and listen, and I love it. It's a little difference. It's not that, uh, you know, old school uh it, it makes you feel, makes you uh, have some emotion, but not the type of emotion that a lot of you know a lot of the old country is all it's all it's about most of the songs about heartbreak. Um, yeah. But I find that the, yeah, <laughs> this new is a little totally. bit more uplifting, you know, a little bit more different energy, a different vibe, um, you know, because I can remember growing up, I hated the blues, and my mother played it over on the weekend, and I just hated it. And now that I've lived some, now I love it. So, you know, it, 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 it's funny how, you know, I met, listening to your talk about country music, it brought that back to me. Uh, now I love the blues. I hated it growing up, but now, but that leads me to, you know, to a question that I have for you. Uh, how how can do you think that uh, blues and uh, country uh, music, how closely related do you think they are? Oh, I, I think they're... I think the roots of country music are firmly established in in blues, and mm-hmm. I think I think it's not just melodically, but I think if you take the subject matter and the heartbreak that you hear in some of those early blues recordings, and even right up until now, right? I mean, those songs, if you just remix them, they could be country songs. You know, like they exactly. have the the same the same. Uh, values the same emotional um, uh, foundation, right? So, uh, yeah, I think it's absolutely very close. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why music is so uniting because you can hear, even if you don't 
understand the the allure of a particular type of music, generally you can find something about it you appreciate, right? It's like, oh, exactly. you know what? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't really like the, um, you know, I don't like... I don't like the feel guitar, but that song's got a great beat or it's got a great message, you know? And, and so there's yep. music has the capability to be very redeeming overall. And, um, and I, I like what you said about it, it being tied closely to blues because I feel like blues and gospel um, are the roots of country music. And, um, and that's why it, it's, it's music born out of emotion, not born out of great production. And I got nothing against great production or pop music, which, you know, can be a lot of fun, but um, blues is, is meant to make you feel right. And I really think that country music, the best country music is meant to make you feel something. And it might make you cry or it might make you laugh or it might make you feel more in love with your partner, but it's meant to make you feel. And I think art is just, you know, by and large, that's what it's meant to do. Yeah, right. yeah. I feel that um, musicians, well, artists, period, uh, period uh, no matter what uh, they're doing, uh, if it's a form of art. So to me, the, those are the most emotional, the most feeling people um, yes. to be able to transcend their feelings into music, into paintings, into sculptures, whatever the, whatever yes. it is. Uh, you know, they're able to do that. And they're, they're the most emotional people. And uh, I can speak from that from personal experience. My daughter sings and she's got to be the most, I, I call her the, my, my little drama queen. So, you know, it's just so much <laughs> emotion. So I, I know that. And I don't know where her ability came from because I I'm, I have no ability to sing. I can't even, I can't even hum a tune straight. So I, I don't know where. It's just it's a gift from God is all I can say for her. But um, I love, I love, like I said, I grew up listening to country music, and I've, I've kind of gotten away from it as I've gotten older. But I can remember, you know, when I hear something, certain things in movies or something, it takes me back. It always takes me back to where I was when I heard it as a child, as a, a preteen or a teenager, and hearing it. Um, and that's just a, a wonderful thing. Uh, it, is there and, a and how, of how old, Sorry, Simone, how old was your daughter when you discovered that she could sing? I, by accident, she was 14 years old. No way. And you just heard her. You just heard her like singing in the car, or how did it sort of like? Because I was singing in her room, walking walking down the hall in the house, and she was in her room just singing, and I didn't realize it. Uh, and I opened the door. I said, "Is that you?" And she said, right. "Yeah." You know, so nonchalant about it. <laughs> So I, she's actually, uh, right then when I realized it and I talked to my mother about it, we got her voice lessons and she started doing um, talent shows and things like that. And she, she started winning. And um, the very first talent show she was in, um, the, the guy, one of the judges, he said, I didn't expect that kind of voice to come out of somebody that young. Um, he compared her to the James. Wow. That's uh, so cool, she, uh, she, yeah. That's a pretty yeah, flattering yeah. comparison. Exactly. So she does weddings. Um, she does she does uh, funeral services and things like that. But she has, and I never, like I said, I never would, if I hadn't walked down that hall that night and heard, I would have never known. Wow. Because well, we are not a we are not musically inclined people. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know where we got where it from. Gonna, where it's going to come from, right? And and I I like what you said about a gift from God. I really believe that that 
one of the reasons why artists are so emotionally driven uh, is because they they do have that task of capturing the chaos of emotion and channeling it into something the rest of us can understand. And I think that's psychologically overwhelming for them at times, you know, because they can feel mm-hmm. things in the world that the rest of us might either be numb to or maybe don't even notice. They feel it, right? And, and so I have a lot of empathy in my heart for artists. It's one of the reasons why I love working with them so much, and, and I sort of work with them in the capacity of being a good coach. And, and to me, that's defined by I want the best for the best that exists within your heart, right? Like I, I don't want to play to your exactly. ego, and I don't want to feed your pathology. What I want to do is, is serve the best for the best within you. And, and if you identify that in someone, then you can always navigate your decision-making and help keep them on track with that in mind. And they will feel your intention. And I really think that you guys have probably heard that, that most communication, like 90% of communication is, is nonverbal. Um, because mm-hmm. I do believe we can pick up consciously or subconsciously, we can pick up on why someone's trying to manipulate us, right? The, the difference yeah, with yeah. me is I'm trying to manipulate you to keep you on track. So I'm, I'm, I'm working to manipulate you for, the, for your own benefit, right? Not for mine, for mm-hmm. yours. Because I understand that if my interests, or sorry, if their interests are served, my interests will be served as a byproduct of that. So, um, so it's great because it, it creates this relationship foundational in trust between me and my client because I'm always challenging them from a place of love, compassion, and respect on their ideas or on, you know, if they want to, they want to, you know, execute on some crazy thought or publicity stunt or idea. I'm always the guy asking questions going, okay, just explain to me how this aligns with your ultimate goal, your ultimate purpose, your ultimate objective, because I need to understand why you want to pursue this or deploy all your time against this. And if they give me a great enough answer, then it's like, okay, I'm on board. I'm going to help. But if they don't, then I can help steer them back on the road where they need to be so that they do achieve the goals that they have laid out. And, um, and so coming at artists from a place of compassion, empathy, and understanding and asking them questions instead of, um, instead of pulling the old, my way or the highway manager tactic. It's more like I want to hear you and I want to understand where you're coming from. So I, I'm going to ask you six questions that might tick you off, <laughs> but but they're going to lead us to the truth, right? And um, yes. and that part of the job is something I really enjoy. Okay. Yeah, and and I can you know and that goes about keeping up and hearing you expressing your what you do for them, you're nurturing them, you, you're molding them. It's not just being great artists, but great human beings. Yeah. So that's what I, yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. So now, uh, Jim, let me ask you yes. a question. One second. I'm, I'm updating on Facebook real quick. So, <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, and one second. Oh, but go ahead, Simone. You can continue while I finish doing this. Okay, okay, okay. 
look, I, I, I want, I want, to, I want, I want to, like I said, I want to hog all the questions and, and take over completely. Yeah, sure. Uh, but, <laughs> but my my next question is, uh, is there a measure of truth in that every country music artist achieves gold or platinum record status? Uh, that everyone does? Is there a measure of truth in that, that every country music artist achieves gold or platinum record status? No, no. I mean, uh, uh, not every not every country music artist. Everyone that I've worked with, uh, for the most part, has. Um, I have a few development acts, uh, including Jordan McIntosh, who hasn't quite reached that um objective yet but um i would say i would say country music or music in general simone is a lot like professional sports you know there's a lot of people who play hockey or football mm-hmm. or gymnastics that that do it and do it quite well by the way but they don't get to you know, there's, there's a lot of kids playing basketball who never play in the NBA. Let's put it that way. It's the same thing in music. There's a lot of people trying music who never quite get to the level where they can make a living at it. Now, let me just say for those people, I think creators are born to create. And I think you should create without expectation because it's what's going to put your soul at peace. But never do I ever advise that an artist should assume that they're going to make a living from music just because they can sing or play an instrument, right? I mean, it's still a very tough game. So uh, I use the professional sports analogy because it usually, it usually compartmentalizes it for people to go, hey, in Canada, we got thousands of kids playing hockey, but only a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of those kids are ever going to make the NHL. That's just the way it is. And the marketplace decides who breaks through and who doesn't. The middleman, which includes guys like me, is almost gone in today's day and age with streaming and social media, which I actually think is a good thing because now as an artist, you can take your product directly to the market and the market will decide whether or not you have the potentiality to do this as a professional full-time, right? Um, Right and you don't have somebody standing in your way, you can literally distribute your product to thousands of fans that you build up over years on social media yourself. And I think that's a wonderful mm-hmm. thing. But it is really hard to get to gold-selling status um, or platinum-selling status, which in the United States is still, I think, 800,000 units. Gold, I think, is 400,000 units uh, of sales, right, or equivalent streams. Right. Uh, and in Canada, our, because we only have one-tenth of the population, we're one-tenth the ratio. So gold status up here, I believe, is 40,000 units, and platinum is 100,000. Um, and most of my artists have achieved those milestones, but they've been, a, they've been a battle to achieve, no doubt about it. <laughs> it's been tough. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a quick question. Well, First, I have a, a comment that I want to mention, and then uh, see if I can get your your take on, on how you were able to secure your bill. It said, uh, in a recent conversation I had with founder and president of MI Recordings in New York City, Ted Mason from the uh, British group of Modern English, 
Yeah. I, uh, I revisited the conversation with him about boutique record label development. Whereas uh, several years prior, we had a conversation where he said, James, well, you got to get your people. I can teach them the music industry from the inside out and distribution and help them develop and create a label, a record label specifically catered to them. But then recently, uh, it says that Universal Music had cut that program out. So they're no longer able to develop uh, these new independent record labels. Which brings right. me to my question is, and before I get into the question, I know it's overdue. Big Star Recorders has been around for about seven years now, but a belated congratulations on the joint venture that Thank you took you. up the Can Canadians Division. Can you tell us a little bit about how this deal was put together if you're not bound by a confidentiality clause? Right, right. So I'll tell you the impetus behind Big Star Recordings. Um, in 2013, I was coming to the end of a few label contracts for some of the artists I managed, including George Canyon, who was signed with Universal, and Aaron Perchette, who was signed to a, an independent label in Canada. And I found that I wasn't thrilled with the options uh, that were presented to me for those artists. So, you know, I, I've kind of always had a mindset where it's like, well, if you're not happy with the options available, you should create another option or figure out another option. So we started our own label for artists that we manage because you're right. It's hard to make a, a living off the label business, but if you are also booking that artist and you're making, you know, 15% and you're managing that artist and you're making 15% on that front, uh, you can take some of that money that you're making and reinvest it into that artist to record more new material and promote and market that material. And guess what? That drives up their booking business, which drives up the management commissions and drives up the agency commissions. So for me, getting into the label business wasn't about throwing down the gauntlet against Universal Music or Warner Music or Sony or any of those guys it was more about going, okay, I am going to look for the best label partner for my artist, and I want one of their options to be an in-house option so that we can market the product, we can set up the tour, we can decide when the singles are going to drop at radio, and we can be in charge of our own destiny uh, rather than sort of waiting on someone to sign us and then and – then, dealing with the complexities of that relationship because here's the thing about signing with a, a big major label. They have other priorities. And if Beyonce's dropping a record the same week your client's dropping a record, you're not getting any love. And I get it. Yep. <laughs> like, I understand. Uh, it's not a bad thing. It's just how it is. But in my boutique situation, if we're dropping a George Canyon record or an Aaron Pachette record or an Emerson Drive record, we can put a full court press on the prioritizations around marketing that record, promoting that record, getting as many ears on it as possible. And, and we're able to do that because we're in business on so many different fronts with those artists. So I really think the new, the Vanguard deal, the new deal 
that we're going to see in the music industry moving forward is a label taking on more responsibility and providing more services while receiving more money because nobody's making money off selling a single for 99 cents on Apple Music, right? But no, that's right. Nobody's getting rich off that. But if you are sharing in the responsibilities of booking and managing and you're doing a good job, well, then you're going to make your money on the back end, right? So it's a bit of an upfront investment to make money down the road. And for me, I'm all about that. It's like, how do we monetize your live business and absolutely do our best to record the best product and promote it properly? But how do we then turn that into dollars and cents for the artists? And the truth is, most of their money gets made on the road, shows, fairs, festivals, casinos, nightclubs, arenas, all those types of performances. But you can't play a lot of those places unless there's a demand, and you need to create the demand by releasing the music, hence why we started Big Star Recordings. Hey, well, congratulations on that. That was a very smart move, business move, and, and, and we wish you very, very, very many more years of success with that. And Thank you, you know, brother. So, I, you know, it's like uh, I've been a Jim Cressman fan from the beginning, man. It's like, what was this dude, Jim Cressman? I said, man, let me tell you about Jim. Jim called me. And once I told him who you were, they said, man, he didn't call you. I said, yeah, he did, man. We called and we talked. This was last September or October, if I'm not mistaken. And we talked about uh, trying to find a way to apply ex Defenders Resource Network, my nonprofit, to work in conjunction with um uh, with Invictus Entertainment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so they, were, they were like, why? They said, man, you know all these big, powerful people. I said, man, if you tell him he's powerful, man, he might punch in your mouth, man. <laughs> uh, you, know, you, know, you know what's so important, James, and you get this in your world, and Simone, you too, is, is it doesn't matter who you're mixing, mixing and mingling with. They might be powerful people, but they're all human beings. They all have their own insecurities. They all have their own problems. And, and it is really easy to underestimate the mental health state of celebrities because we all assume that because they're rich and famous, they got to be happy. And God damn, we're wrong on that so often. We've seen it time and time again. You know, you think about Robin Williams and I'm, I'm sort of stealing this from Tony Robbins because he does a bit about this. That's really effective, but Robin Williams had a hit television show. He won Academy Awards, Oscars. He was in massive movies that were comedies. And then he was in successful dramas he had a beautiful family, and yet, and I know he had some mental illness. I'm not, I'm not taking that out of the mix, but at the end of the day, he couldn't find a way to frame the level of success that he experienced in terms that mattered to him, and so he killed himself, you know? And, and I think it's really easy. It's easy for all of us who struggle in life with money and making ends meet to assume that because someone's rich and famous, they've got it easy. But that's a very dangerous assumption. You know, I've, I've often found that, that people with a lot of money are, are very miserable, you know, and a lot of them feel like that 
that they don't rightly deserve that wealth that has come their way. Right. Um, years ago, I read a book uh, called The Imposter Theory. If I'm so successful, why do I feel like a fake? And, you know, and it's like right. how they, they achieve this level of success, whether in business or music, sports or whatnot, and they just get to this plateau and it's like, okay, well, what do I do now? You know, I don't rightly deserve this. Someone else should have this. They have a family. They say, well, my family deserves it. at least the money part, you know. So they'll 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 do themselves harm, you know. And so yeah, that's it's a serious problem. But uh, like you say, a lot of people well, you, are under that assumption. Right. I mean, I, I think that one of the secrets in life is you got to decide what you're going to pursue, right? And a lot of people are pursuing happiness, but happiness is like. It's this fleeting thing, and if you experience it, you should certainly soak it up and enjoy it, but, it, but you can't really pursue it because it isn't sustainable. Um, I'm a big fan of pursuing two things, fulfillment and growth. You know, if you feel like you're growing, then you're not dying, and if you feel like you're fulfilled, then you're going to be challenged, and that means that, that the, the life situations that, that come up they're not going to make you happy, but they might make you feel fulfilled if you, if you are able to surmount a heavy challenge in life. So, you know, if, if you get diagnosed with cancer, for example, say that happens and you, you beat that cancer because you take responsibility for your health and you have successful treatment, you know, Getting cancer doesn't make you happy, but beating it could be the most fulfilling thing you've ever done in your life, right? And so that's just an example of, of a different mindset between chasing, you know, sort of this superficial concept of happiness versus, no, 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 I'm going to chase growth and I'm going to chase fulfillment because then when I encounter the bumps in the road, I understand that they're part of helping me grow and, and partially there to prove how strong I am and where I came from, right? It reminds me what I'm capable of. That doesn't always make you happy, but by God, it does, it does fulfill you. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So now. Oh, yeah. So, James, I'm going to put the spotlight on you for a second. What are some oh, things yeah. that you, <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. What are some things that you do in your life that make you feel fulfilled? Like, what are some things that happen in your world that make you go, you know what, this wasn't easy, this was tough, but, man, I feel so much better on the other side of it. Give me an example of something that that happens in your world day to day that makes you feel like, even though it isn't always happy and rainbows and unicorns, it still makes you feel good. Well, Jim, um, in in, in uh, February of 2010, I suffered a slight stroke, and you know, and a lot many people know that, you know, but I suffered a mild stroke, and I went from 238 pounds down to uh, 160 pounds in less than three weeks. You know, the pain and all that was so bad, and then I had blockage, major blockage in my right leg, and I had to do an amputation below my right knee. So I'm, a, I'm a, as they say, busier than a one-legged man in an in a ass-kicking contest. You know, <laughs> so each day I get up, you know, and 
and hey, I'm out there trying to do things, you know, to help people, you know, to better their lives, and you know, so that's it, you know. And I don't. Uh, I often get called by doctors, and they have a patient facing amputation, and they said, "Man, you you've never been bitter, sad, or or angry about losing your leg." I said, "Well, hell, I'm still alive." And they said, well, would you mind coming over and talking to the patient's face and to let them know that life, there's more to life and that they can do so much more and not give up. And so that's what I did, you know, when called. Good on you, man. That's incredible. And uh, really, how's your health really been in the, last, in the last year? Oh, my health has been great in the last year, you know, in the last 10 years, you know, well, a few years back, uh, I've been driving with my prosthetic on and driving across country and, you know, back to my hometown in Indiana and had it on and didn't know I was setting myself up to building an 18-inch long blood clot in my leg, you know, so. Wow. It took a a couple years for it to go, you know, to go away. But during the process, uh, he... I had to go through all the ultrasounds, and one of the ultrasound technicians says, "Say, I've heard of this in medical school, but I never thought that I would actually live to see. But you are actually growing veins and arteries to transport the blood in your body, and it's known as a process of autogenesis, you know, where the body can help repair itself. And so that's what it is doing, you know. So." I guess I've been fortunate. You know, that's the man above wants me still here for a reason. Absolutely, amen to that. How about you, Simone? What's the situation that you surmounted that that was difficult at the time that you feel made you uh, more fulfilled as a human being? Made you feel like you surmounted a challenge, and um, and and made you feel like you grew on some level. Oh my goodness. Uh, I guess I would have to say this. I am a, I am a soon-to-be 17-year domestic violence survivor. I was a uh, in domestic violence for 10 years in my marriage, uh, for over, a little over 10 years. So, um, the I've learned so much about myself since then. So, it has pushed me to be who I am in my community to other women, um, to be able to to know exactly. Uh, I know what it is to live in that, in that, in that, I call it the practice of darkness. It's a hole that you are constantly trying to figure your way out of. It's like a maze. And, uh, until, and I want people to understand, that's why I wrote a book, uh, back in 2015 about, it's called, uh, Cage by Words, um, something like a memoir, which, uh, told the story of my marriage and, you know, all the different types of abuses that I suffered and, uh, endured and how I was able to walk away from that and not go back. And to let people know, you know, exactly what's in the mind of a person that's dealing with that. And, you know, why, you know, it's always that question, why are they don't leave? But they will never understand it unless you're there. But that book was written to be able to allow individuals to kind of get a little peek into what uh, a domestic violence uh, person is dealing with that, what they go through. But I came out on the other side as a better person that made me understand, uh, I think, human nature a little bit more. It made me understand yeah. who I was and who I am now. That whole part of my life where I don't carry any grudges, any anger, 
to be honest with you, I'm grateful for it, to be honest. Just because if I hadn't endured what I endured, I wouldn't be who I am today. It made me a better person. It made me more, made me embrace my community and people that my, I call my neighbors, not just on my street or next door or across the street, but my neighbors anywhere that I go. I embrace people. I listen. It made me a better listener. It made me care more. Uh, made me feel for other people. Uh, before then, before I was married, I never had any idea what it was like to really feel somebody else's hurt, somebody else's need to be heard or helped or assisted. So, yeah, it made me a completely different person, and I'm grateful for it. And Simone, yeah. that is like, that's like a TED Talk. I love it. Yeah. Hey, I love yeah. it. I, I, yeah, yeah, James. No, go ahead and finish what you're going to say, and then I'll tell you. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to say um, I love what you said about finding a way to repurpose the pain you went through to somehow be grateful for it. Because I think I think making that transition takes a lot of emotional detachment and a lot of processing. But I think you're right. If you can get there, then you can look at the adversity that you faced in life as something that made you stronger and forced you to grow as opposed to something that victimized you and, and is a burden that you carry forward. And, and I think, I think that perspective shift is, is, and I know it's an overused word, but empowering. And it's so important to get to that place where you can take, you know, I mean, you all obviously had a hard life. You got a right to be bitter but it wouldn't make your life better and it certainly wouldn't make your community better or your family better. Right. And the fact that you've been able to, to process this the way you have and speak about it with the conviction you do is very inspirational. So um, amazing. I love it. Thank you. Tell them a little bit about what you do. And also Jim, tomorrow, Simone will be my guest on the radio show here tomorrow. You can't tune in tomorrow, but Simone, go ahead and tell me a little bit about yes. your background. Repeat that for me. It kind of it kind of left me a little bit. What was your question for me, Jim? I mean, uh, James. I said, can you tell him a little bit about your background with your radio station and your different business interests that you have going? Oh my God, uh, I, 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 I guess I got my hands in so much, in so much. So, um, like I said, um, I. I started from scratch. I was married really, really young. So uh, I wasn't even 30 years old when I divorced. So once I um, divorced, I only I had a high school diploma. I went back to school, and, you know, I worked uh, for a while in the healthcare industry. And um, what I basically was doing for uh, them, uh, having a degree in business management was a specialization in healthcare. But um, I was tired of it. I was kind of burned out on it. So in 2013, I decided to walk away and do pretty much what I was doing for the company that I was working for, which was community outreach. So I started, mm-hmm. I built a business to to do what I was doing for them for, um, you know, myself, contract out with different nonprofits, different organizations and small businesses do their outreach to teach them how to uh, uh, create uh, uh, a plan for outreach, a plan for volunteers, to, how to recruit volunteers, how to do things like that. So that was rebirth, um, uh, PR, media, um, and then it grew into doing their like social media management, uh, create, website creation. Um, we actually did some, we had a few authors, and we had, we did events, we did webinars, we did an array of things. And then it has grown, and I have Rebirth Radio, 
that uh, I have a few shows that we do. Um, another perspective, uh, State of the Union, which is a political show, and then I do something called Face the Community, um, which we have guests on that are doing great things in the community because I think that's important for us to uh, be able to put those types of individuals in the spotlight because. Um, people, first of all, can relate to them, and then, again, it also increases um, the value of volunteerism because a lot of us don't realize that the glue that holds our communities together are the individuals that go out and give up their time, their gifts, uh, their monies, whatever it is that they're doing, but being able to give back to the community holds those communities together. So that was, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's what I do, and I do that, and, um, I have a new project that I can't say anything about that we'll be doing our pre-lunch campaign starting in the middle of next month. That's something that's kind of near and dear for women of my age, um, giving, give, doing something to empower them. So um, that's basically what I do. I, like I said, I'm a, I'm a self-published author. Um, I do speaking events. I've, I've spoken all over the country about domestic violence uh, from Miami to Philly. Uh, so I, I, I do that. October is my busiest month of the year because I'm gone just about you know the entire month speaking at different uh, church events, different uh, events, conferences, and things for domestic violence for women. So I, I do that. I love doing that. I love sharing my story and to giving people you know you, you can you can do it. I, you know anybody can do it. I have, I have one child, a small child, and I went on to get a degree. Went on to get a master's. Um, and, you know, worked out in, in the public sector and then went on to start my own business. I live a good life. Um, I have a – she's not so new anymore, but I have a, a, a daughter, a son-in-law, and a, my granddaughter who is my my pride and joy. She's 18 months old, and uh, she's Aww. my pride and joy. And, I mean, you know, life is good. I can't complain about life. I don't complain uh, because I always think about, you know, something my mom told my brother and I when we were growing up. No matter how bad it is, there's always someone that's a little bit worse off than what you are. You know, that was the thing that she, you know, right. would tell us on a daily basis. You know, treat people, you know, if you can't help somebody, you certainly don't hurt them. And, you know, we pass it on to our children and now our grandchildren, the grandparents now. So, you know, we try to carry that on, you know, that legacy of doing the right thing uh, by people and by, you know, by our families and things. So that's, that's basically what I have going on. And I'm, I'm just all over uh, the community. I was honored last year. I didn't even realize it. In the last ten years, I've done twenty-five thousand plus volunteer hours in my city, and I didn't know it uh-huh. until they said it. So I'm that always somewhere terrible. doing something. Yeah. So I, I love what I do. Think about it. I love it. I don't do it for photo ops. You'll never see me with pictures. You know, when I'm doing things, or whatever. I'll let people know what I'm doing, but I don't take pictures of like the homeless. We, my cousins and I. Uh, we're all in the same age. We get together once. We, we haven't done it since COVID, uh, but we get together the uh, third Sunday of every month. We go downtown Baton Rouge where all the homeless gather, and they live there. It's a, a little bridge area where they live. And we set up, and we, get, we do tailgating with the homeless, and we do, you know, spaghetti and meatballs, dinner with the homeless. And we go out and we set up out there with tables and stuff, just like if they were at home. We try to give them that. To make for this for if it's only for a few hours, given that normalcy that you know that they don't have that we have when we leave that we can go home to our families and to our houses and have be normal. So we have music and they play cards and dominoes and we just have a good time. They dance, you know. We just give them a little, uh, give them just a little bit of what normal is. So that's just some of the things that we get together, you know, we do. Okay, that's so cool. 
Yeah, so is. cool, Simone. Yeah. So inspirational. Twenty five thousand hours. That's that's in ten years. I did when they said it. They said, "Would you look on your face? You didn't know. No, because I don't count them. Right. <laughs> I just do. And you know, I don't count them. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just go and do whatever I need. I go. Yeah. Well, Jim, you know, uh, yeah. I know I know we had said that we had booked you for a couple hours, but. Man, do you think you could put up with it for a little bit? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Hey, but, uh, no, what, uh, if you like, you can give a plug for your upcoming podcast or plug for your artist. You know, you can call them out by name or whatever. And, sure, you know, sure. Well, what what I'd love to do is uh, I'll um, I'll throw a plug out there for our website, www.iegroup.ca. Um, and, uh, so people can check that out. I'm also active on Facebook, uh, Jim Cressman or Instagram, uh, which is Jim Cressman Invictus, all one, um, handle. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter if you search Jim Cressman. So, um, and Invictus Entertainment Group is also on all of those platforms. So feel free to follow us in whatever, uh, form works best for you. And, uh, It'll keep you up to date on all the things we've got going on with artists, whether it's uh, t- touring American, your favorite American artists up here in Canada. If you, any Americans happen to be up here uh, on holidays or whatever, you can keep up to date on that. Or on some of our great Canadian artists that we are touring south of the border um, as we uh, continue to grow and nurture their careers down there and do our best to you know, take great music and just bring it to the people no matter what. Okay, and everyone, everyone listening, uh, our uh, our broadcast are picked up by the following podcast and distributed worldwide: Stitcher, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Deezer, Freaker dot com, Castbox, Spotify, Our House Radio, TuneIn, and Amazon Alexa. You have to just go on and search for. Uh, our turn social media network radio and our broadcast listen will pull up and you can sit back and listen to us as you're driving home, you're sitting at home, at work, or wherever. And you can hear this broadcast from Mr. Jim Cressman from Invictus Entertainment and also Big Star Recording. And you can also hear Miss Simone O. Higginbottom, my co-host today. And thank you both for being on here today and I really appreciate it. My pleasure. It's uh, been wonderful talking to you, Simone, and you, James, and um, keep doing what you guys are doing. It's important. You're getting a great message out there. All right. Well, thank you, Jim. We really appreciate it. Hey, but, man, you still got to send me some just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard that a few times. Not too much lately, no. though. <laughs> no, just <laughs> Not hey, too but, much lately. Hey, Hey, but it was it, it, it's been great talking with you and and Simone. This is our first time uh, uh, working together. It's a great we did great I think together here. And uh, thank you for for joining me. Hello. Yeah, Simone. you guys rocked it. You rocked it. You both did great. I think we might have lost. Oh, Simone, yeah. but um, oh, oh I'm back. I, just, yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, thank you. It was my pleasure. I had a wonderful time. I enjoyed it, and it was just great. Just great. Both of you guys were wonderful. 
Well, thanks right. so much. I got a uh, I got a daddy daughter date with um, my youngest daughter, so I'm gonna fly on out of here. But thanks so much for taking yes. the time, you guys. I appreciate you. No, thank you. All right, hey, you have a great rest oh. of the evening, and uh, and uh, don't get in trouble with your daughter now. All right. No, yeah, I'm gonna try to keep my wallet uh, in my pocket. Thank you. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. All right. Thank you, everyone. Bye, guys. Right. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.